You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, the jokes tend to write themselves, but Sean Ryan, the Packers' third-round pick, which is historically a great round for the Packers. They uh, they knocked that out of the park, but they're struggling with this one. Uh, Sean Ryan, one of the few draft picks that hasn't taken the field in any real capacity or shown <laughs> any real ability uh, including, honestly, fourth-round picks. I think Sean Ryan had or has like the lowest probability of actually playing a snap for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, you think about how many already have, and then you think, okay, well, what about Ford, Tariq, and, um, and Walker? That's Rashid, not Quay. Well, there was a time when we all thought Ford was going to have a prominent role on the team. Tariq, honestly, I mean, at this point, maybe it's Sean Ryan. I mean, I, leaving aside the suspension at this point, I, I, I suppose I should tell the people that don't know, Sean Ryan was suspended six games for performance-enhancing drug use. But, um, yeah, especially with the issues at safety, you know, I, I just, I don't know. It's an interesting question. If, if there was a... How far away is Sean Ryan from starting compared to, you know, Tariq? I, I, I'm positive Jonathan Ford is, is ahead of him, just based on the lack of depth. I mean, we only have Slayton and Wyatt. We're one injury away from Ford playing a prominent role. Rasheed Walker, the Packers, I think, really like, and um, I would say are probably more comfortable with than Sean Ryan. But anyways, um, again, the, the jokes sort of write themselves. Try not to be super cheesy here, but... Um, you sure hate to find out that a guy is, that um, was a promising, supposedly promising third-round pick that cannot, could not even in the offseason get with the third team very much. Hate to find out he was cheating. <laughs> oh, I mean, we don't exactly know what performance-enhancing means, right? That could mean anything, really. This isn't Packernet After Dark, so I, I won't go there. But, you know, maybe it's a different kind of performance that he's struggling with. I don't know why he'd get suspended for that, but uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to, trying to help the guy out here. I don't know. I, I, I shouldn't talk 
too much crap. I, I, I generally give the benefit of the doubt to guys. I think I'm just really stunned with Sean Ryan. I mean, we, we've had struggles with the third round, but I don't remember a third round pick that can't even compete with backups. I don't remember that ever happening. Amari was out there, right? He had his snaps reduced because of uh, Randall. At least that was our assumption. Maybe it's not entirely Randall's fault now that we see that he just got flat out cut the next year. But, I mean, Amari played a little bit and, and was down because of, uh, because of Randall. Josiah is currently playing Jace. I mean, he didn't play very much. and I mean, we, we knew Jace was struggling out of the gate, but he played. Oren Burks played. Montrevious Adams played. Kyler Fackrell played plenty. He even had a really good year mixed in with his not super great career. Ty Montgomery played plenty. I mean, you got to go back to Kyrie Thornton. 2014 looks like was the last time we've had a guy that just didn't play and then went somewhere else. Richard Rodgers, Alex Green, Morgan Burnett, Jamichael Finley. I mean, we had actually a pretty solid run. James Jones, that's a real good run right there, a third-round picks. And then something happened. I don't know what, but this is, this is, this is rough to not play a single snap. And to not even be the guy, I mean, I understand, like, okay, well, you already have a, 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 an established offensive line. You know, that, that, those things happen. It's not like you can't draft an offensive lineman when you already got five, and you don't have to replace an established offensive lineman just because Sean Ryan's there. I mean, sure, if he's it, 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 immediately way better than, Sean, or than John Runyon or whatever, then, then I guess fine, but... You'll remember Royce was a guy, and then we got rid of Royce. You'll remember there were times when we had injury issues. There were a lot of guys missing. He never came on the field. So it's not just a matter of, well, he's not one of the top five. He's not one of the top six, seven, eight. I don't know how far it goes because I don't, I, I don't know how far before we'd ever see him. We never saw the guy. I just I don't know how it could be that bad. You know I like Brian Gutekunst, and, and I think he does an above-average job as a drafter, and I think he does a... a exceptional job as a uh, as far as his free agent acquisitions but the third round thing has become i mean it's 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 shocking how bad this is there's still plenty of talent in the third round to be able to get a guy that's at least capable to come in and be subpar there's plenty of offensive line there's, there's plenty of draft picks that we've had that have that have played that are just not really getting it i mean our first round picks Quay Walker was fumbling around for several weeks, and Devontae Wyatt's still kind of, you know, not really sure what he's doing out there. Christian Watson started off pretty slow. Zach Tom, I think his first start was terrible. Kingsley didn't get off to the quickest of starts. I mean, these, these are normal things, but to be at a point where the coaching staff is looking at Sean Ryan going, he cannot be on the field. That can't be a thing. It's just he's, he's not there. I mean, granted... They put him on the 53, but, but you would almost think they would have to be out of necessity. I just wonder if he was an undrafted free agent, would he, be, would he have even been on the 53? Because the fear would be he's a third-round pick, somebody's going to want to steal him, and we don't want to lose him. It's too early, but, you know, we, we can't play him. I, that would be my question. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe he was next in line at one point. I mean, we were getting down to who knows. I mean, there's not many people that were left. I mean, he's there. At some point, he would have been on the field if we had another injury, but I don't know, man. I, I just, I'm, I'm, 
very surprised at how bad the third round has been, and now we've brought it to this point. I mean, the fact that we have a fifth-round pick that stepped in and is starting. And, and don't get me wrong, Kingsley is not Rashawn. Kingsley will probably never be Rashawn. But he's a fifth-round pick. I don't expect him to be. For a third-round pick, I expect you to be good enough to play in a pinch. Again, I mean, Jonathan Ford. I, I don't expect Jonathan Ford to be a very good football player. I mean, TJ Slayton. He was a fifth-round pick. I keep, I keep thinking he was a third-round pick because of the amount of hype that he had. He's a fifth-round pick, and he started pretty much right out of the gate. I mean, not started, but he played right out of the gate. And I think there was a level of disappointment that he wasn't better than he was. He's a fifth-round pick. Dobbs is a fourth-round pick, and we're, we're trying to calm down our expectations about him being a superstar. Same with Zach Tom. I think we're getting carried away with it, and this is from a big Zach Tom fan. We're getting carried away with our this guy is a star future left tackle narrative. I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it, sometimes you miss. But to miss this big in the third round, and because of the, the, the history of the, I just, I'm, I would really like somebody to ask Brian Gutekunst what is going on, because I, I really think, and I, I don't know that you get an answer, but at least ask the question, is there, could there potentially be something in the process in terms of how you view the value in the third round that is broken? that needs some reevaluation. Because this doesn't make any sense. The odds of this being a thing are, are really astronomical. Especially when you consider how good they are in the second round. It's one round different. How do you dominate the second round and then just you cannot find a third round pick to save your life and then kind of dominate the fourth round? They're pretty solid in the fourth round. I mean, again, six and seven, I don't really expect anything. But even you start to look at that, we've, we've got John Runyon now, we've got Samori Ture now. I mean, they're starting to actually hit on rounds that I, I have zero expectations for. They are not hitting the third. I mean, Josiah. I'll, I'll stand on Josiah being a, a decent role player so far with, with, with that I think should be utilized more. But I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe Sean Ryan becomes a complete stud, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. We'll, it, it, it's, it's over for this year. I know that much. Um, and then next year, the the prospects don't look super glowing. I mean, the offensive line certainly isn't set, and, and I think if he can step up, there's a, a decent enough chance. A, a big part of the question is, is Elton Jenkins ever going to move back to tackle? If he doesn't, he's competing with Runyon and Elton, and I think there's a real good chance with uh, beating out Runyon. I genuinely do, but he has to be a, a, a pretty solid football player to be able to do that. Because again, as, as bad as Runyon is as a run blocker, the guy is protecting the quarterback, and that's always going to be the most important thing. So I just, I don't know, man. The offensive line is a weird thing because there's so many guys that you like and are scared to replace, but at the same time, they're not necessarily elite. right? Elton Jenkins is eh. Josh Myers is eh. John Runyon is eh. Josh Nyman is eh. If you replace any one of these guys, you're probably going backwards. But the only guy that's just consistently solid slash dominant is David Bakhtiari. That's it. With the hope that Elton can return to form. But even at that, you've got three guys that are upgradable. Two that I would kind of prefer at this point to upgrade, which would be Josh Myers and John Runyon. The problem is they're young, especially Myers, who is a second-round pick and is really young. So it's not going to happen. So 
Anyways, we got that out of the way. Um, I want to turn to Patreon real quick. A couple questions over there. Chris says, what's your opinion on keeping Matt LaFleur and Goody if they keep AR-12 in for a majority of the remainder of the season and only get one or two, possibly zero wins? I believe they should both be replaced from outside the organization. So I believe the point you're making is Rodgers should absolutely be benched. Um, and if they choose not to and don't get any positive results, i.e. wins, then they should be held accountable and fired. I'm, assu- I'm trying to follow the thought process on it. Could be wrong about that. Maybe it's just a strict matter of um, if we just get zero wins or one or two, then they should be fired just based on the incompetence of the team. I, I don't know, but um, I, I don't... Th- there's a prevailing narrative that's brewing and, and growing over over time as we go along, and that is that the roster is really not that good, and then therefore Gutekunst is not that good. I think even at its worst, Gutekunst has done a good job. I mean, what is undeniable is his free agent record. The draft record would be the only real question. So if you just go down the line, uh, I guess previous hits that are maybe considered not as big a hits as we once possibly thought, Elton Jenkins. You got the complete miss, potentially, of Sean Ryan. Josh Myers in his rookie year was seen as a stud. I don't know what the perception on Josh Myers is today. I know he was overhyped last year. He was seen as a really good, solid player, whatever. Um, And maybe that's the perception still of this year. I I don't necessarily think so. But um, Royce, right? He's not even starting anymore. You got Jordan Love. That was a miss. A.J. Dillon. I shouldn't say Jordan Love is a miss. Jordan Love hasn't proven to be anything but a miss. A.J. Dillon last year was seen as a stud. This year, kind of a, eh, what the heck is going on here? Um, T.J. Slayton, again. Uh, here's, here's another thing to keep in mind. I think potentially some of what's happening are some guys were overhyped to begin with, and now that reality's setting in, they're seeing that as, well, they're not that good, therefore Gudikun sucks. T.J. Slayton is performing beyond any reasonable expectation of a fifth-round pick today. The problem is people were treating him like he's going to be a first-round pick. He is this massive Vita Vea nose tackle that's a really good pass rusher, and I told you from day one, no, he's not. And nobody wanted to listen. Nobody wanted to believe me. Well, he's a massive disappointment. No, he's not. He is more than adequate for a fifth-round pick nose tackle. But again, maybe not. some people are realizing he's not what everybody's hopes and dreams were. Uh, you could say Devondre Campbell. That's a free agent acquisition, but, you know, hey, he's not as good as we thought he was, which, again, he was never going to be as good as he was last year. Uh, Jair, maybe he's not as good as we thought. Uh, Savage, clearly not as good as we thought, even if we didn't think he was that good to begin with. But even still, even even if it's, if we just forget the insane expectations we set for everybody and just go down the line, with a re- and, and, and we need to come up, maybe, maybe this is what I need to do, is come up with a realistic expectation for how good players are, right? Here's what you expect of a first-round pick, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, a seventh-round pick, and an undrafted free agent. Here is the baseline expectation, but I'm not doing that right now. So it, it, what I would encourage people to do is to really poke around and look at just historically... Well, for example, 2021 fifth-round picks where T.J. Slayton is. How many of these players 
are at the level of Slayton today? How many of these players are at the level that people expected Slayton to be, which is like an elite first-round pick? Now, granted, it's a little bit of an unfair exercise because most other fan bases wouldn't know who TJ Slayton is, just like we won't know who a lot of these guys are. But let's just read the names. Luke Farrell, Jamie and Sherwood, Revan Jordan, Taquan Graham, Evan McPherson, Kenneth Gainwell, Larry Borum, Caden Stearns, Tony Fields, Michael Carter, Jalen Moore, Isaiah Loudermilk, Amir Smith-Marset, Davion Nixon, Brennan James, Sean Wade, uh, Tommy Doyle, Noah Gray, Derek Forrest, Jamar Johnson, Sean Davis, Keith Taylor, Nate Hobbs, Zach Davison, Richard LeCount, Garrett Wallow, Dalen Hayes, uh, Diamadore Lenoir, TJ Slayton, Ernest Brown, Jason Pinnock, KJ Britt, Cam McGrone, Shamar Jean Charles, Semi Fahoko, Talanoa Hafunga. Oh, Hafunga. I know Hafunga. He's playing well. Kind of out of nowhere this year. Cornwell Powell. Uh, I don't know how to say that guy's name. Avery Williams, Ben Mason. There isn't a single player being listed. And I know a handful of these guys. Right there's there's a few bears like Larry Borum seems to be a really solid tackle considering he's a fifth round pick I mean he's, I, I would say he's sort of a Yash Nyman type considering where he was drafted he's really solid would you upgrade him if you got the opportunity yes Amir Smith uh, Amir Smith Marset former Minnesota Viking that is now a Chicago Bear doing nothing some of these names I remember because it's like. Davion Nixon and Sean Wade were considered. Davion Nixon was supposed to be a second round pick. Sean Wade was like a mid first round pick at one point. They completely fell off. I have no idea what they're doing in the NFL right now. But that that would be the first exercise. Familiarize yourself with with what the actual expectations are, because I think too many Packer fans just live in their own little bubbles in their own head, and that is you pick them and they fail, therefore you suck. And I know I'm going off on a on a tangent away from the question, but. The point is, even if we adjust down our expectations, I'm a fan of, of Gutekunst. Do I think he's the best drafter? I don't. I would be stunned to find out that he's drafting better than everybody else. I think he is significantly better than most current GMs, and I think he is a billion times better than any GM that currently doesn't have a job right now that we would want to hire to come and be the new GM of the Green Bay Packers. So clearly, if you think the issue with the team is a talent issue, then Gutekunst would be at least worth considering. I think my biggest issue with Gutekunst has been that he's gotten away from the Ted Thompson philosophy of draft and develop and has recognized that we are in a window and push way too hard, and that has limited our ability to compete. But even if we acknowledge that as a Brian Gutekunst failure, you understand this window is going to force itself shut very soon. And the question then becomes, who do you want to be the guy to find replacements in the draft. And then once the the cap gets cleaned up, who do you want to be spending that money to find you free agents to help you win football games? Very clearly in my mind, the answer to that question is Brian Gutekunst. Now, some people have raised the the concern about quarterback evaluation, right? He was a, it, 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 and I don't know this to be the case. It, it is my assumption based on two facts that he was really, really big on Deshaun Kaiser. Number one, there were rumors that the Packers are very high on Deshaun Kaiser, but they didn't draft him. Number two, the I believe it was the first move that um, that Brian Gutekunst made as a GM was to trade away Demarius Randall and get Deshaun Kaiser here to Green Bay. So my operating theory is that he was one of the ones that was really high on Kaiser, and that was a complete 
massive failure. The next thing he did at quarterback was go get Jordan Love. We don't know what Love is, and I understand finding quality quarterbacks in the you know later first round or early second round is not an exact science, but it's 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 not exactly uh, impossible. Lamar Jackson was taken at the last pick in the first round, and now you've got uh, uh, Eagles quarterback I'm blanking on. And honestly, I, I start to wonder if the way that the offenses are being played now that are more quarterback friendly is helping these things. You're starting to see, for example, Bailey Zappi is a better quarterback than 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 Mac Jones seemingly at times. You know, we we have these weird, you know, the 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 guy in Houston. It's it's not again, these are not these elite top tier Hall of Fame level quarterbacks, but you're seeing now guys that are kind of getting drafted later than the usual that are able to at least succeed to some degree. But we haven't really seen that from Love. We haven't seen much from him at all, but the point is that would be somewhat of a concern. But do I want to fire Brian Gutekunst and, and potentially hire somebody that can't draft or bring in free agents and completely tank the team because maybe Brian Gutekunst is struggling to evaluate quarterbacks? And not just Gutekunst, he has an entire staff. And on top of that, maybe the new guy will do a better job? No, I don't want to do that. That is way too high risk for potentially a minor reward. I mean, how many great quarterback evaluators are out there? How many can you name that just consistently knock quarterback evaluations out of the park? I don't think it's really a thing because you're not consistently drafting quarterbacks. So you got some that, that draft quarterbacks, but number one, they're probably not available as GMs. And number two, there's not a large enough sample size to know whether that was a fluke or you had a top five pick, you top to picked a top five quarterback and he was good. Or even the Chiefs, when they drafted Pat Mahomes, I've given uh, John Dorsey a lot of credit for that, but how many quarterbacks were left? What would have happened if he had had the first pick? Would he have taken Pat Mahomes, or would he have taken Mitch Trubisky or Deshaun Watson? We don't know. So all that to say, I'm out on, on Brian Gutekunst going out. As far as Matt LaFleur, I think you can draw a parallel between the failures of the team and the failures of Matt LaFleur. I don't know that to be the case, but it, it feels more likely than not. There is still an issue of, you know, we, we always assume that if you get rid of a problem, then everything is fixed. No, it doesn't fix things. There's negative and then there's positive. Getting rid of a negative doesn't give you a positive, right? If I, if I have no job and $100,000 in debt and somebody pays my debt, all 100000 of it, I still don't have a job. I still don't have income. And again, most of these things are... The, the biggest issue I say, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the question in particular, I just think that there's far too often a belief that success is the standard. The Packers are failures if they don't win football games. The Packers are failures if they don't win the Super Bowl. The Packers are failures if any draft pick doesn't pan out. The Packers are failures if any uh, free agent doesn't pan out. The Packers are failures if any coach doesn't pan out. And I, I don't think we realize that is the standard. Not winning the Super Bowl, not winning games, or at least being 500, is, is literally the standard. You know what the, the league average has always been every single year since forever? 500. Because somebody always wins and somebody always loses. Even if there's a tie, it still comes out even. Every single year for all of history and for, for, for all eternity into the future, that's the standard. Draft picks failing, failing is the standard. Free agents failing is the standard. That is the norm. That is what happens most of the time. Coaches failing is the standard. That doesn't mean you have to accept it, but we have to be able to separate, you know, saying we need to move on and 
everybody should be fired because this is an organizational embarrassment and, and everybody's laughing at us and seeing us because, oh boy, we're, we're not we're not winning games and everybody thinks we're a complete idiot. And, and, and again, you have to be in a pretty tight-knit bubble up in your own head to not be able to see what's happening around the NFL. I mean, two teams, three teams in the NFC North have new coaching staffs in the last couple of years. Two teams have new staffs. I mean, we're talking GMs and coaches this year. Yeah, well, we're, we're a successful franchise. That shouldn't happen to us. Well, Tampa Bay just lost their coach. I mean, he retired, but they got a new guy in. He's not very good at football, is he? The team sucks. New England has constant turnover. Not Bill Belichick, but constant turnover. And usually it involves those players, coaches going somewhere else and failing. And then they go run back under the safety umbrella of Bill Belichick. I mean, it, it just is the norm. Um, and so I, I, I say that to say we can acknowledge, we, we have to be 100,000% certain that, that we are not going to win with Matt LaFleur. And that's hard to do because we've, we've won three years in a row, right? That makes it complicated to argue that point. But if we believe we cannot win going forward with Matt LaFleur because there is just a lack of confidence in this team, and that starts with the coach, we had better be 100,000% sure because the odds of us finding a coach even as good as Matt LaFleur is are very low. And, and the, the odds of us getting caught into the cycle of not having a good coach, not having a good GM, not having a good quarterback, and being a floundering franchise for 30 years is way higher than us finding a really good GM, a really good coach, and a really good quarterback all in the, in the first couple, two, three years. Significantly higher chance of being a garbage franchise. And so, and, and so I understand from a lot of people's perspective the idea that, well, we, sh- we shouldn't get rid of the GM, the coach, or the quarterback. We have to cling to them as hard as we possibly can. That seems to be Gutekunst's plan and a lot of other fans' plan. Now, to be clear, though, there, there is taking it too far in the other direction. I see a lot of people who get furious at the idea that we would ever move anybody ever, and they, they get caught. I, I want so badly to comment on some of the stuff I see on Twitter that's just ridiculous to me with the notion being you just should never move on, ever. There has to be a point at which you say, this isn't good enough. And that's true of, of, of everybody. It all just comes down to what is the best possible thing to do to win football games. That's it. And it doesn't, the, the, the past, it doesn't factor in nearly as much. It's just what is the absolute correct information today and what do we do about it? So I'm not moving on from Gutekunst, especially after this, another good free agent class, another good draft class. I don't, I don't see the merit to moving on from Brian Gutekunst. Matt LaFleur, I see something that is a major problem, and that is a locker room issue. That is a lack of confidence issue. That is just an attitude issue. And we, we have had the label of being soft for so long, and, and we all really thought that that was going to change because Matt LaFleur came in, and it's all about big offensive line, smash-mouth football, and then you bring in Patton, and he's this angry, bald, scary-looking defensive coordinator. It's like, we're finally going to shed this soft mantra. And what happened? We go up against hardened teams like Tampa Bay, like the 49ers who win in the trenches, and we got embarrassed. Why? Because the team is soft. And it's not just physically soft, they're mentally and emotionally soft. And you heard Robert Tunyon say that and confirm that essentially when he said after winning 13 games in a season, they start getting down on themselves like they're frauds and we don't belong here and we're not actually that good. And ho, ho, ho. What is that? So do I want to move on from Matt LaFleur this year? No. Or after this year? No. And, and the decision to bench Rodgers or however many games, regardless of what happens the rest of the season, it doesn't really matter to me because we understand the situation is the Packers are terrible. 
Um, I know some people are holding out hope for a run. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, I don't know. But um, regardless, somebody needs to be held accountable and something needs to change for what is already taking place. But I, I would have Matt LaFleur on a short leash after this and, and have a very candid conversation and say, you know, we, we, we know that you are an incredibly intelligent coach. I believe he's a very good play caller. You know, a lot of people would disagree with that, but I, I genuinely think he is. I think he has an unbelievably firm grasp of the scheme and how to utilize it and how to, how to implement it. But I don't think his guys are playing for him. I think they, and, and that's not to say they don't like Matt LaFleur. I think they do like Matt LaFleur, but they're not willing to go out on the field and bleed for him. And you see it on the field. They're not, they're not willing to go out and do anything for anybody, for each other, for him, for themselves, nothing. It just feels like football has become intellectual for the Packers. I, you know, it, it's, it's an intellectual exercise. And, and listen, again, I'll, I'll bring it back to Rodgers. I think that's how he operates. And, and he, whether he wants to be or not, he is a leader of the team. And people follow his lead. And I, and I think that's what it's become. Matt LaFleur is a very heady intellectual guy. He's not an emotional guy. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not a you know, scream in your face and get you jacked up kind of guy. He's not a, I'm going to smash my head into your helmet and bleed for you type of coach. And neither is Rodgers. Rodgers isn't a rah-rah guy. He's not a pep talk guy. Yeah, he'll go to the sideline, talk to people, whatever, occasionally. But he's, he's intellectual. And I think both of those guys have a leadership style that is, here is the, here's the bar, here's the expectation, and, and your job is to meet it. And we're going to help you to try to meet it. But we're also just going to sit back and say, dude, you got to stop being an idiot and start learning how to play football. But even when they accomplish that, all it is is intellectual. They have an intellectual understanding of how to play football. And the problem is, even at our best, we've got Harvard versus Alabama. So, But again, nobody's getting fired this year, but we are going to have a conversation about, about how, to, how to move forward with this. Um, there needs to be that piece, and that piece is missing. Uh, and I, I, I don't have a solution for it. I just know that something's missing. I don't know what you do about it. I'm not a leader. I don't know anything about leadership. Read some books out of interest. I don't know if you can bring in like a guy just to be that guy. Can you hire Charles Woodson to just come in and just hang out with the team? And I mean, hire him to be a coach. Hire him to be a defensive coach. Call him, call him a, a, a defensive assistant. And his job is to just be a hype man. I mean, obviously he's going to help like the, the DBs and he's going to help with all the stuff and everything. But I don't, I honestly, I, I, I don't know, but I don't know why that would be a bad decision. I, I'll hire five, six, seven of these guys, former players, and they don't have to be former Packers. Dude, I will pay Ray Lewis a million dollars to come in and be an assistant coach. I'll tell you what, I just, I just fixed the freaking problem right here and now. I just fixed it. I will pay Ray Lewis one million dollars. I don't know if he would take it, but a million dollars a year to come in and be a coach. And, you know, yeah, you, you got to help people understand things or whatever, but your main job is to instill a culture. And you're primarily defense, but I, I want that to emanate. And maybe you go walk over to the offensive line once in a while. And if nothing else, you, I mean, whatever, fine, then, then find somebody on offense. It doesn't matter. Who's the guy the Colts just hired? Go find one of those guys. Go get freaking, uh, there's a billion big mouth wide receivers that are all retired and, and broke. Go hire one of them to be an assistant offensive coach. And all you're doing is instilling a culture. Who's, uh, Go get, what's Mike Allstott doing these days? It's from Joliet, Illinois. I mean, we, we always, Rogers just talked about how coaches, you know, players don't really want to be coached. I'm telling you, I'm going to go to you. I'm going to offer you a stupid amount of money. And, and if I'm, if I'm uh, Mark Murphy, I'm 100% signing off on this because this, this is a no-brainer for me. We, we, there's no cap on this. Million dollars a year, 
I want you to have a cursory understanding of, of what's going on. You don't need to stay up late at night. You show up basically when we have practices, um, probably when we have meetings. You're basically like a player. You, you are on the player's schedule. When there's meetings, when there's workouts, when there's uh, anything that players are involved with, you're there. Right, And maybe there's a breakaway session for coaches just to kind of get you up to speed or whatever on things. But I don't care if you don't understand everything perfectly. Because, you know, you talk about Ray Lewis. You think he doesn't understand conceptually how to be a linebacker, even if he doesn't fully understand the scheme? He's going to see Quay Walker hesitate, and he's going to get in his face. Or Darnell Savage or whoever. But I, I just want you to turn them into absolute animals. That's what I want. There you go. I just fixed it. I don't know who the offensive person would be. But I, I, and maybe you can't afford Ray Lewis. He's like, I want 10 million or I'm not, I'm not getting off my couch. All right, that's fair. But there are people who understand this side of things, that understand the mentality side of things. Same with Charles probably wouldn't do it either. And all due respect to Leroy Butler, seems like a nice guy, but he's probably, we have enough nice guys in, in Green Bay. I want somebody that, that is, that is a vicious, you know, basically this person would have been in prison probably for life if they didn't find football. I want one of those guys. Maybe should be in prison even without football, but that's a separate issue. You know, you know who's broke is Adrian Peterson. That dude needs some money. I'm just saying, maybe offensively, he certainly has a mentality to him. Anyways, why don't we leave it at that? We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, take a look at some of the other Patreon question, comments, concerns. Patreon.com, by the way, Fertile Ground. Uh, <laughs> good Lord. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Fertile Ground Ranch, discipleshipministry.org is the organization that we are supporting. By the way, I really appreciate uh, the other guys in the network supporting it. Didn't ask them to do that. Certainly not obligated to do that, but I appreciate them um, trying to help out. Definitely means a lot to me. But uh, why don't we take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Question from Mr. Craig Andrews. He says, if we lose on Sunday, could the organization pitch the idea of benching Rodgers to, um, uh, what are we saying here? Oh, pitch it to Rodgers. Pitch the idea of benching Rodgers to Rodgers by letting Jordan play so we can trade him if he does well or or not exercise his fifth-year option if he's bad. I don't think Aaron is threatened anyway, given he is uh, 
in the driver's seat with respect to next year. The only threat could be if Love balls out and we trade Aaron. I just think in general, you're asking for trouble if you... If you're going to pitch Aaron Rodgers, it's it's got to be based on Aaron Rodgers. I think if you go to Rodgers and say, would you mind if we stop playing you so that we can play love to see if maybe he could replace you? I think that ends in disaster. Now, again, the, 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 only, the only way that I would maybe consider doing that is if you just want Rodgers gone, but I don't know if he's going to go. I mean, I, it means that Rodgers and, and Gutekunst's relationship is going to go back to zero, but he played here while their relationship was zero. He may just be miserable and, you know, stay in the house and just make you miserable. But like you said, he, he's pretty much in the driver's seat insofar as if he really just wants to stick it out, he can. But, you know, again, what you're doing is you're going to Rodgers and saying, we're, we're considering moving on from you. Because re- remember, that was the whole point of this thing. He, was, he felt disrespected that the Packers wouldn't commit to Rodgers beyond a certain period of, of, of time. And, and that was the point of the contract, is to give Rodgers the ability and the comfort of knowing that he doesn't have to go anywhere. They don't really have the ability to move him. They can't cut him. They can trade him. But as has been pointed out, Rodgers can torpedo any of those deals that he that he wanted to. So t- effectively, he has that ability. And and we would assume that the Packers wouldn't tr- even try to trade him without his consent. So there wouldn't be a, an attempted trade, and there's not going to be any cutting. So it's going to be initiated by Rodgers. And so again, I I, I just think, and and he's got a further comment here that'll kind of say I don't really care, but. I think the point of the contract was that the Packers made a commitment to Rodgers that they're not going to quote-unquote threaten him anymore with guys like Jordan Love, and then to go to Aaron Rodgers and say, hey, we'd kind of like to see Jordan Love, I think that would take him right off. But he goes on to say, I don't think Aaron is thr- uh Nope, wrong one. Concern has been voiced that if Rodgers is benched against his will, it'll have a negative effect on the locker room. I think maybe a few vets would be concerned, Bakhtiari, Cobb, Lewis, Mason, to name a few, but the young guys would see it as a positive, especially after A-Rod has thrown them so many, uh, thrown so many of them under the bus thoughts. I, uh, yeah, I don't know how, how young guys view Rodgers, but I don't think there is a super loyal commitment. It kind of brings me back to uh, anytime we have these CBA negotiations, and it always comes down to it's these rich billionaires against the players, and it's really not. It's rich billionaires, at least some of them, against uber-rich millionaires, like multi-million, you know, Rogers with like a half a billion dollars laying around. The low-end players generally don't support what the high-end players want. They they tend to very often, this is why the, the players never get what they want, because when they vote on stuff, it doesn't go their way. Well, we're so disappointed. Yeah, the, the mouthpieces, the guys with all the money that are at the top that are putting out statements are disappointed. The guys on the low end, they don't support what the guys on the high end want. So I, I don't think it's true that every single player in the Packers locker room views things the same way as, as, for example, Aaron Rodgers does. You think they're all in agreement that it's not a big deal if Rodgers doesn't come in for training camp? You think they're all okay with that? I think you have veteran guys that have been there, done that. Then you got young guys that are like, that's great for you. I'm trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to, to actually do something here. And so I, I don't think... They're all in lockstep on absolutely everything. And yeah, some of these guys, they don't know Rodgers. Rookies this year, I mean, yeah, we, I'm, I'm playing with a Hall of Famer. That's cool, but I don't have some loyalty to the guy. You think Christian Watson cares? I mean, Christian Watson wants to be here for a very long time, well beyond Rodgers' career, whether that happens next year or, or in two years, who cares? And so I, I don't want to go so far as to say they'd see it as a positive because they don't really like Rodgers or whatever. 
But I do think it would be a good message overall to the players that a lot of players would appreciate to essentially have a, a feel that no player is too big. That's generally seen as like an anti-player, pro-coach kind of message, but you also don't want players to be lording over other players, you know? Aaron Rodgers certainly didn't like it when Brett Favre did it to him. You want them to be able to have their own, to, to feel as though they can take accountability for it. And, and, and this isn't even necessarily anti-Rodgers, it's just that he's been here for so long. This is his locker room, this is his team, this is his everything. And it's hard for a younger guy to come in and try to take ownership of his own team. And maybe there would be a revitalization to, to kind of mm-hmm. take on a, a, a younger team with younger leadership and to allow the young, because this is a pretty young team. I mean, if you look at averages, well, no, technically, well, yeah, it's because of Rodgers and Mercedes Lewis. You take them off the team and we're a very young team, especially when you talk about where all the talent is. If you embolden the young players to take on the leadership role, I think that would be a good thing. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I generally agree that most players wouldn't be just like in a, a complete revolt. How dare you get rid of Rodgers? I think that's generally true. In fact, it, it kind of made me think of something, you know, because the question is, if the Packers did want to move on from Rodgers, what would you do? And I had floated the idea of we're going to start Jordan Love, whether you like it or not. Another less aggressive approach to that would be to explain to Rodgers that things have completely fallen apart. We are no longer committed to this all-in strategy. And then you basically get rid of all those players that you listed. Because again, they're not a part of the rebuild. Rodgers, I'm just letting you know, we would love for you to be able to stay here and continue to play. We know you're a great player. We want to honor the contract. You know, we're basically lying at this point. And uh, we'd love for you to kind of help us through this rebuild to, to coach up some of the younger guys as, as the leader of this team. But um, we're going to be moving on from Bakhtiari, moving on from Cobb, moving on from Mercedes Lewis, moving on from Mason, moving on from Aaron Jones. You know, we're, we're starting a, a new team with a new direction. And, and you know, we're, we're going to hope to get this turned around as quickly as possible. If we can do it in a year or two years, that would be great. But um, we just wanted to let you know first that that is the direction we're going, because I know you have some decisions coming up. And um, again, we would love for you to be here, but we want to honor whatever decision you make with the full expectation that he's going to say, screw this place, I'm out of here. And if you really wanted to push it, you would, you would also add in, we also have every intention of at least being able to evaluate Jordan Love. You know, you give him his fifth-year option, which is going to take off Rodgers, do that before he makes his decision, and then also let him know that, you know, this is, this is his last year here. So we're, we're going to have some, some looks at him, and, and if that means shutting you down halfway through the season so we can see Jordan Love, then that's what we're going to do. No way he comes back <laughs> with that information. He won't even need time to think about it. He'll just tell you flat out, if that's what you're doing, then I'm leaving. So again, it's true that he has complete control, but it's also not true at all that he has complete control. Finally, Dan had a uh, comment. He was commenting on another uh, question, but I'll read it anyways. He says, as soon as we are eliminated from playoff contention, I think they will shut Rodgers down. They already dropped Sammy to fifth on the depth chart, and it wouldn't be surprised if they shut Bach and Elton down as well. Yeah, that's that's not a terrible thought, to be honest, especially David Bakhtiari. I don't know what Elton Jenkins' um, injury situation is, but this is what I mean when I say that, that you know, you, you sort of tank without tanking. This is, I think, what we did in 2018, where Gutekunst kind of came in and crippled the team. You know, I mean, you, you fire the head coach and you start trading away other players. And then you say, but I want you guys to go out and do your best and win every single game. No, you don't, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I personally don't think they're going to do that, but I don't know. It'll be very interesting if they do, because again, you can't shut down Rodgers without conveying a, a message. And it's a message Rodgers isn't going to like. 
Now, from my perspective, I couldn't care less. I'm, I'm just stating a, a, a fact. I'm not saying I'm, I'm against it because I, I don't want Rodgers to get upset. I couldn't care less. And if I was Brian Gutekunst, if I was Matt LaFleur, I would really have no issue just calling it like it is. I mean, and, and at the end of the day, you, you need to be able to do that. It, it's absurd that we're even talking about maybe you can't do that. You need to be able to have man-to-man conversations with a grown man and say, I know you're Aaron freaking Rodgers, but Aaron freaking Rodgers couldn't dr- drag us out of this hole. We are a failing football team. We are eliminated from the playoffs, and we are shutting you down. And if you think about it, I mean, just NFL head coaches, they're, they're always guys that have that ability to just be tough and to be firm and say, you're, you're, you're done. It's weird that it just feels like we don't have that. And I, I know I'm, I'm being unfair to Matt LaFleur because I don't know, but it, I just I can't imagine him just having Rodgers come in and just having a firm, you know, very curt discussion about, you know, season didn't go the way we wanted it to. And uh, now that we are officially eliminated from the playoffs, we've made the decision to shut you down without, you know, dancing around it. And, you know, I respect you and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, this, it's just what it is, man. But the, the bottom line is we're all getting ahead of ourselves anyways. Because remember, we're not losing. This is when we go on our big run, right? Beat the Philadelphia Eagles, win, 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 win. Somehow sneak into the playoffs because it looks like the Vikings aren't willing to go on that losing streak for us to be able to do anything, which really lessens our odds of being able to get into the playoffs. But, uh, you know... We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna win football games. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be super great. We can have this discussion <laughs> after the Philly game. We have a little bit more closure. Anyways, there's one final thing that I wanted to uh, to look up, and I'm very happy to find the results on here um, on Twitter and whatnot. I was kind of messing around with uh, Josiah DeGuara <clears throat> and the fact that um, he doesn't deserve to be lumped in with all the other third round picks that are considered busts. And there were two things that came up. Um, one that I agree with, one that I don't. Trevor says on Twitter, in all seriousness, DeGuara is a passive casualty of them playing Rodgers' style of offense. With them lining up three, four wide receivers in Tunyon and shotgun, they keep DeGuara off the field, so he's not lead blocking and becoming a factor in the passing game. It's a shame. And I commented, when we use him as a blocker, he does a good job. When we use him as a receiver, he does a good job. We just don't use him. So that's sort of my perspective on it. Somebody else had commented on a different post um, about DeGuara. Third round pick for a wide zone lead blocker. I think that was the comment, implying that that's all he is. So my thought is, is it true that he's a essentially useless player or is he just not utilized very often? Then I had a thought. There are a couple metrics that kind of factor in based on how many times you're on the field. One of them that I've already pointed out is a very good metric for receivers that Christian Watson actually does quite well with especially since he hasn't played very much, it's a better metric to look at, and that is yards per route run. Number one on the team is Randall Cobb. Number two is Christian Watson. Number three, Alan Lazard. Number four, Josiah DeGuara. DeGuara only has 106 yards. He is ninth on the team in terms of receiving yards, uh, ahead of Samori Ture, behind A.J. Dillon. But that's because of his lack of usage. Per route run, he's getting us an average of 1.61 yards. That is to say, if we were to to have him on the field as much as Tunyon, and remember, he's usually running a little shorter routes, theoretically. He's not the guy that's up in the slot. He's, he's kind of in line or, or in the backfield. But to put that into perspective, Robert Tunyon currently has 342 yards compared to Tunyon's 106. But if you give Tunyon or DeGuara the amount of snaps as Tunyon on the current track he's at, he'd be about about 400 yards compared to 342. It's not a massive difference, 
But the point is, he's ahead of Tunyon. Just thought I'd throw that little nugget in there. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.